but it's Zion. Uh, just Zion, you know. It's Zion, not Zion. Uh, and, 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 and het is that, that throat-clearing sound, <laughs> like, like the German, kind of a thing, right? Het. So the ladies don't like that, but the guys are kind of into it. I'm just saying. Just saying. Let's go ahead and read these two uh, stanzas from this, uh, from this passage, from this uh, psalm. Verse 49. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. The proud have me in great derision. Yet I do not turn aside from your law. I, remember, I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. And God, we pray tonight that you'd have your way with us as we look at these 16 verses, these two stanzas within this wonderful psalm, Lord, that continues to lift up your word. We continue to see various as aspects of, of the excellencies of your word, what your word does for us, how it ministers to us, how it brings blessing to our lives. And so, God, pour out your spirit upon us, might he teach us your, your truth. Might he lead us in your way. And God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we continue here in these next two stanzas, we see in verse 49 and 50. We'll just read those two verses together once again. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort and my affliction, for your word has given me life. Boy, I'll say, I mean, isn't that true? His word has given us hope. In fact, I like the way this is worded by the psalmist. You know, when we began this uh, several weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we don't really know who it, who it is that wrote this. Some believe uh, uh, King David wrote it. Others believe it was uh, in, in the time of uh, uh, perhaps um, 
the priest Ezra. But not knowing that, we can't identify it. But whoever it was worded this so well. I, I, I like this. Upon which, remember the word to your servant, upon which, the word of God, you've caused me to hope. God has caused us to hope upon the word of God. It is the word of God that brings us hope. It is the word of God that brings us the promises in which we receive hope. The word of God is just so powerful in our lives. Um, I have to say that in the last few months, the word of God has been a lifeline to me. It truly has been. You know, and, and this is absolutely true. God has caused me to hope upon the truth and the promises of God's word. If not for that, as we go through the various afflictions, the, the hard things of life, well, you know how we'll say sometimes, you know, I, I don't know, people who don't know the Lord can handle this kind of stuff, right? We'll, we'll say that. And I have come to the conclusion in experiencing some very tough things recently, myself personally, watching others as well over the years. You know, I'm, I'm not the only one in, in, in this room who's lost a spouse. I'm not. I'm not the only one in this room. I mean, I'm, I'm, my, my mom is getting ready to go home to the Lord, you know. I'm, I'm not the only one who's lost a mom. Lost my dad several years ago. You know, I mean, this is something that is common to all of us. Yet the grieving and mourning is, is deep and painful. It is. But how do people do this without the Lord, without the word of God, without his promises? I'm convinced that they, that they don't. They can't. They can't. Because, you see, because of our sin nature, we are not equipped to deal with this kind of stuff. We're, we're, we were not created in the first place to be able to deal with death because, well, as Adam and Eve were created in the garden, and, I mean, it was, it was, uh, I mean, it, it was a sinless, beautiful, wonderful existence for them until... They rebelled, they disobeyed, sin entered in, and sin nature has entered into them. We've all inherited that sin nature from Adam. We don't have the capacity. I mean, we weren't made in the first place. I mean, you know, God's intention would, would have been that all of us would live forever. Sin entered in, brought us destruction. Now, all of us have to deal with the destruction without the ability to handle the emotional aspect of it all, except for the fact we have God. We have Him. We have His Word. Now, there are countless people out there who go through these same difficulties, these same afflictions, the same pain without Him. And they are unable to deal with the pain. And that's why affliction in life brings so much destruction. Destroys families. Destroys friendships. 
And you know what? Sadly, it even can destroy churches. Local fellowships, you know. Not the church, but local fellowships. You know, if, if we're not focused in the right direction, we're not looking to him, you know. So, in this, you know, I, I, God's word has, uh, as I said, been a lifeline to me. It, it, it has, through God's word, he has revealed to us the reality of, of him, that he actually is. It is through God's word that we are shown his nature and his character. Um, and, and guys, I can't get past the passage in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. I'm going to look at a couple of the, the uh, a few of the verses in those passages. And uh, first of all, in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 23, we see Moses pleading with God. Please show me your glory. Verse 18. And then the Lord responds. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I want to, I want to pause there because I think it is very interesting that when, when Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory, God responded by saying, I will show you all of my goodness. His glory is his goodness. His goodness is his glory. God equates those two terms. I think that's fascinating. God is indeed good. But, but the Lord goes on and says to Moses, And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said... You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here's a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take, my away, uh, take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. I think it's in the King James, the old King James, it says, you shall see my hinder parts, or, or you shall see my backside. And the literal Hebrew really means my afterglow. You know, the, the glow of my glory you'll see as I'm passing by. It's just a beautiful, beautiful passage. But this is that discussion there in verse thir in chapter 33. Then in chapter 34, beginning in verse 5, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Let's pause on that a second. Stood with him there. That, that's pretty crazy, huh? I mean, the, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of of the Lord. Now, this would have been Jesus, right? Because God is spirit. The Father is spirit. This would have been Jesus in the standing with him there with, with, with that language. And proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, 
long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And guys, he is all these things and more. This, is, this doesn't describe him fully, does it? But we have a really good idea. We see here that he is merciful, he's gracious, long-suffering, he's good, he is truth itself. Uh, mercy is mentioned a second time, the only quality here that is mentioned twice. Mercy, merciful, and then in the beginning, now mercy again. Uh, and he is forgiving. He also will not clear the guilty. He doesn't just say, oh, that's okay, you sin, that's fine, no problem. He doesn't do that. Sin must be accounted for. There must be some consequence to sin. And, of course, Jesus took our place on the cross, right? So that's what it means by the fact that he will not clear the guilty. The guilt has to be laid on someone. For us, it was Jesus. And if we don't accept Jesus, then the guilt will be laid on us, on that particular person. And that person cannot ever enter into the presence of God. And all that that means is that he is just. He is just. And of course, the, the cross is that place where God's justice and his love and mercy meet together. Two things that aren't mentioned are the fact that he is also sovereign and he's faithful. Now, God has caused us to hope in these words, in these truths. Because of these truths in regard to who God is, we hope in the reality. We have a blessed hope. We look to the future. We have a confident expectation of the promises that he made are going to take place because he is all these things. And so, as we see things going on around us and have a have things happening in our own lives, and we, we have the difficulty. We're, we're just kind of, okay, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I don't like this, but I trust you. You know, and, and um, I was speaking with Jamie last night. We were, I had mentioned to her that Pastor Jeff uh, passed away. Of course, then it reminds us of her mama. It wasn't that long ago. It's been eight months now. Uh, and she said to me as she's weeping, she said, I just hate that she's gone. You know, and, and, and we all do. We hate that she's gone. But I'll add to that, but I love where she is. See, and that's the confidence. That's the hope. That's the hope. You know, First um, Thessalonians four thirteen and 14, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And just quickly, uh, the Thessalonians were concerned about those who passed away 
before Jesus actually returned because that's what Paul had taught them. Jesus is coming back. But now they're gone. What's going to happen to them? You know, that's what, they, they wrote him and let him know their concern. So he's answering them. He's answering their concern. And I want you to... Um, I don't want you to sorrow like others who have no hope because we do indeed have hope. The hope that comes through the, through the word of God. We who belong to the Lord, we've got that hope. But you know what, guys? If we do not cling to the promises that are in God's word, we'll lose hope. That is our hope. So the word of God is indeed a life, a lifeline for us. John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you, Jesus said, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Is he your overcomer tonight? He indeed is. He is our overcomer. Praise God for that. Praise him for that. David Guzik wrote this. Spurgeon said, C.H. Spurgeon said, that he often carried with him a small book of God's promises. And that would have been Clark's Precious Promises, a little book that he would carry around. And he turned to specific promises to help him at needful times. Then quoting Spurgeon, this is what Spurgeon said, But God, let us speak with reverence, when he gives a promise, binds himself with cords of his own making. He binds himself down to such and such a course when he says that such and such a thing shall be. Hence, when you grasp the promise, you get a hold on God. Isn't that cool? I like that a lot. I like the way that he words that. Reminds us of times when, 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 when Moses would um, hold God to his word. You can't do this because you said that kind of a thing. And I think that's a valid thing to do. Deuteronomy 32, 46, and 47 says this, And he said to them, this is Moses speaking for the Lord to the people. Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. Now get this. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. So God's word, bringing hope, bringing comfort in affliction, and giving us life. It is our life. Of course, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Being the truth, he is our life. Being the way, he, he, he brings us to himself. Verse 51, the proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. 
Um, I want you to note verse 51 here, we see, we see the proud. In verse 53, we see the wicked. So, so, so we see that these who are proud and these who are wicked are the adversaries of the one who's writing this psalm, the adversary of the one who is you know, following after God. The proud and the wicked. And it's, it's no surprise to see those words linked together. But the proud have me in great derision. They, they are scoffing at me. They're, 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 they're mocking me. And that is something that we see in our, old wor- in our, in our own world, right? In our, in our own culture. There was a time in our culture when Christians were respected. In fact, I would say probably you know, 60, 70 years ago and, and past that, and, and the further back you go, probably the greater the degree of it, a pastor was held in great respect in the community. That's not the case anymore because we've become a bunch of haters in our culture. It's not the case anymore. But there was a time when, when that was indeed the case. But the proud, those who come against the truth of God's word and those of us who believe in the truth of God's word, as they scoff at us and as they mock us for believing these fairy tales, we see the writer saying, yet I do not turn aside from your law. You know, we, 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 we really need to remember that first and foremost, it is before our Lord that we live out our faith. First and foremost, not before other people. Really not even before Christians. It's before the Lord. Now, we live our, out our lives understanding that people are watching us, and we do want to be good examples for them, And there needs to be some sense of accountability with each other if we might, you know, we we, we might mess up. We we, we might sin. And one of our brothers and sisters comes to us and says, hey, man, hey, hey bro, hey, hey sister, what's up? You did this, you know? I just want to encourage you. I want to pray. I'm praying for you. And, you know, just come to them and have an accountability whenever we might be confronted or rebuked. Because the Word of God, we do see as we look at 2 uh, uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17, uh, verse 17 in particular, the word of God is profitable for rebuke. But we live our lives before the Lord, and I think that that, that is especially important for us to understand when we might be you know, ridiculed or made fun of or mocked by those who don't, don't believe. And it's like, we really have to get to a place where we don't care what people who do not have faith in Christ, what they think. Does that make sense? If we can, if we can adopt that, I mean, what we, what we want to care about, let me reword this. When we don't care what they think of us, what we want to care about is how they see Jesus. That's why we want, we want to be good examples. That's why we want 
our lights to shine. So ladies, get signed up for that group. Let your light so shine, okay? But that, that's, that's what we want, right? So we have to be careful about that. But they can pour out those poisonous words upon us. And if we're concerned about what they have to say, it will poison our hearts. But if we're concerned about pleasing and honoring God, we'll be okay. With the understanding that this is what happens in our world. With that understanding. Verse 53, we see him writing, Indignation has taken a hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Indignation. Um, being filled with a righteous indignation. Aroused to anger when, as we see here, because of the wicked who forsake your law. Forsaking the law of God by the wicked brings some very, well, some wicked and cruel and mean and hurtful, painful things. I mentioned earlier as, as, in, in my opening prayer about what happened in Kansas City today. You know, I mean, football fans going out to celebrate the victory of their team in the Super Bowl. And I understand there were three people arrested through this thing, but they start shooting at them. One, one woman was killed. 22 others were shot. Nine of those 22 were children out celebrating, wearing their Kansas City Chiefs gear, happy that they won the Super Bowl. And this happens. Does that make you angry that stuff like that happens? That's what he's talking about. Did October 7th of last year when Hamas went into Israel and slaughtered those people, did that make you angry? That's what, the, that's what this is talking about. Does it make you angry that a young man who now is known by the name of Leah Thomas can swim competitively against women with his natural skeletal structure, with his natural... Uh, uh, muscular structure and move from being a very mediocre uh, competitor among the men to now breaking women's records at the University of Pennsylvania. Does that make you angry that that's okay? Because it's not. Stuff like that, you know? And there's so many more, uh, so many other things we could talk about that in our culture would make us angry the way that, that our culture, people within the culture, just ignore the truth of God's word. You know, and that thing with, with, with Leah Thomas, what, what he's doing and, and all, you know, there's so many people who approve of that. And, 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 you know, I have a hard time believing that his entire motive is not because he feels like a woman inside, but he just figured out a way to become a winner. Compete against girls. He can win. But 
I'm going to backtrack from that because I don't know his heart. I don't know. Certainly there are groups of people, the, you know, those who are cultural leaders in our culture, um, whomever they may be, and a lot of times it's entertainers because they have a platform from which to speak. Certainly in a situation like this, it's certain doctors who will approve of these things and perform the kinds of surgeries and, and give the kind of treatment that allows people to transition from a man to a woman, at least physically. But that, that, guy, that guy is still a guy. He's still a man. Perhaps he's just been greatly deceived into thinking that this is okay to do. And he's been encouraged to do so by our culture. Our culture is sick. Our culture is sick. We need to be praying. We need to be praying for them. In fact, those that would mislead him are committing an, an offense. Well, Luke 17, 1 and verse 2, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. The context of this was Jesus receiving from the moms, the children that they brought to him, sat him on his knee and, and enjoying them, perhaps praying for them. And the disciples were all uptight about it. No, no, don't bother him. Don't bother him. Don't bother him. He got angry about that. He got angry with them for keeping these babies away from him. A righteous indignation. Verses 54 through verse 56. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the, in, in the night, O Lord, and, and I keep your law. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. Psalm 42.8 says, The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. That's a beautiful verse right there. But you know, as we focus on the Word of God, as we memorize the Word of God, as we fall more and more in love with the Word of God, oh, how I love your law, right? We're going to see that coming up in, in, in a few weeks. Um, it becomes our song. And you know I believe, and this is something I personally have discovered, you know, um, going through what I've gone through, especially with, with, with my sweet bride, you know, the, her sickness and then her going home to be with the Lord, which, 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 like I said, I'm glad that she's there, I am, but sure doesn't mean I don't miss her, and all the things that are going on with me as a result of all that, but going through that, Knowing the word, uh, uh, you know, um, 
determining to, you know, apply the word and believing the word, you know, times in, in, during this whole experience, the Lord's speaking something into my heart from the word of God, you know, and, and, and all of this. Um, you know, something that I believe, I, I really relate to this, th th these three verses, you know, the Word of God has become my song, especially particular truths in the Word of God that have ministered to my heart as a result or, or through through all these things that, that, that I've been experiencing. Um, becoming my song, um, determined to continue to obey the Word of God and, and to remain as faithful as I can be in the Lord, you know, those kinds of things. Yet going through these things and him giving me the comfort, giving me the hope, giving me his peace, giving me his joy, even in the midst of all this. And, you know, when I think about, G about Jesus being with my bride right now, you know, think about that picture that I described earlier, you know, with, I, I, just, I just think about my bride's beautiful big smile and her bright eyes when she must have laid hands on him. You know, or when she first laid her eyes on him and just gave her a big hug, you know, I mean, like, like that picture. I can just imagine that, you know, and that does fill me with joy. It really does. Again, it doesn't mean I don't miss her. But the truths of the scriptures that I have known in my brain, many of those now I have lived in a very real way. They're in my heart. They've become my song. And... It has become mine. It's mine. Not just a, 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 a not just some truths that, that seem like ideas or even ideals or or, um, or theory. Truth in my heart, very real, because I have experienced the hope and the joy and the peace, the love of God in a way. You know what? I never would have if my bride was still with me. I, I, there, there's truth to that. There's truth to that. You know, it's like I, I wouldn't wish this experience on anyone. Yet, we all go through it. We do. But if we allow the Lord to, he causes through the experience for his, his word to become our truth, to become our song, to become our joy, you know? And we're better because of it. Prayerfully, we become more like Jesus because of it. That's his desire. That's what he wants. And so the word of God, so powerful, so powerful. Let's continue on with the next uh, um, stanza. Chet. I like doing that. Chet. Verse 57 and 58. You are my portion, O Lord. I've said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. You are my portion, O Lord. In Numbers 18, verse 20, 
Then the Lord said to Aaron, of course, Aaron was the first high priest, right? You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. We, we spoke of this on Sunday morning as we were going through the first chapter. The inheritance that we have. Speaking of our salvation, right? We, we, we spoke of this idea of, of the inheritance. And we see here in Numbers 18, uh, the Lord calls it portion. And now here we see uh, the writer of this psalm speaking of God, speaking of the Lord as his portion, his inheritance. And so as his inheritance, and, and, and we can look at this, I mean, as, as our inheritance, we, we may... Um, vow to keep his word. As we see the writer saying, I have said that I would keep your words. But look at the next words here. Verse 58. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. His favor. Grace is defined as unmerited favor. Perhaps he's speaking about grace here. And when we look at the next, the next line, be merciful to me according to your word. Why would he be crying out to mercy in connection with the vow that he made to keep God's word as he cries out for favor and he cries out for mercy? Well, apparently he intended to keep God's word, but he couldn't. I think that's what we see here. Uh, reminds me of, of Peter who said to Jesus, I'll never deny you. In fact, I will die for you. A few hours later, he's around a, a fire with a, with a, 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 little, a little girl, a, a maid, who says, didn't I see you with him? No, no. You never see him with him. Denying him. It's our sin nature. It's our sin nature. Charles Bridges wrote this. He wrote, But if we take the Lord as our portion, we must take him as our king. Here is the Christian complete. Taking the Lord as his portion and his word as his rule. How true that is. It's worded very well. He is our Savior King. Our God, our King, who dies, died for us. And just like Peter, just like the psalmist, we need His grace and mercy. We need His grace and mercy every day single day and his grace and mercy are available to us every single day his, his mercy endures forever his mercies are new every morning and note how he says according to your word be merciful to me according to your word it's almost like Lord you said you'd pour out your mercy on me do it I'm going to hold you to your promise 
Now, we can rightfully claim the promises that God has made. We can. Moses did it. We applaud him for that. And we can applaud each other for doing the same thing. I mean, and I've done that in relation to my bride. I know she's with Jesus right now because that's what God says in his word. And that's the idea of what hope is. It is a confident expectation based on the truth that God has spoken, the promises that he has made. So I expect it, I fully expect it to take place. Hope. Psalm 103, 11. We went through this recently. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. We talked about how far away the furthest galaxy that we know of is. Remember, I think it was 33.6 billion light years away. You know, and again, it's a number that we cannot even conceive of, which means that his mercy is inconceivable as well. The greatness of his mercy, we just simply cannot even begin to conceive how great it is. I think that's an incredible, incredible truth for us. Verse 59, I, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. I thought about my ways. I wonder if any of us here in this room actually do that enough to think about our ways. It does make me think about uh, what the prophet Haggai spoke to the people of Israel, God speaking through him. He said, is it time for you yourselves to dwell? This is in Haggai 1, 4 and 5. The time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. I think, I think that particular consideration in the context of all that, it's a word to the church in the midst of a secular, materialistic society. Turn my feet certainly seems to speak of repentance. He looked at the word of God. Well, he thought about his ways and he, then he turned his feet to the word of God and as he ingested the word of God as he received the word of God he made haste without delay to keep the commandments that he received without delay oh, maybe I'll do that tomorrow you know if the Lord speaks to us today he wants us to, to, to respond now now maybe it's something that, that we can't do right now I don't know but if it's a commandment from his word, we certainly can. And what God wants of us is a ready reception of it, of his word, with a willingness to do it whenever we can or whenever the situation arises to be obedient to his word. 
making haste, doing it right away. John Montgomery Boyce wrote this, Blaise Pascal, the brilliant French philosopher and devout Christian, loved Psalm 119. He is another person who had memorized it. He must have written before somebody else who memorized Psalm 119. Now, there's a challenge for us. All 176 verses. He, he memorized he memorized it, and he called verse 59 the turning point of man's character and destiny. Let's look at 59 again. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. He meant that it is vital for every person to consider his or her ways, understand that our ways are destructive and will lead us to destruction, and then make an about face and determine to go in God's ways instead. Boy, that would be a good thing to do every single night, right? Think about the day. Think about the day in which we, or the times that perhaps we chose our own way rather than God's. The, the times that perhaps even the Holy Spirit may have nudged us a little bit and we ignored Him. You know, I mean, we do stuff like that. We do. None of us goes through a day without sinning, of course. If not in deed, certainly in thought. Consider your ways. I think it's, it's, a, it's a great, great encouragement. Verse 61, the cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. Oh, thinks of this, uh, that makes me think of the song we sing, He will break every chain. He will break every chain, won't he? And that's, that's the truth of God's word. He breaks every single chain. It's the power of God's word to loosen the bonds that the enemy places around us. Here we see the wicked have bound me. In whatever ways our culture may, may handcuff us, well, the word of God frees us. Verse 62, at midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. You know, sometimes we say, well, we will respond if confronted with the thought or the question, did you do your devotion today? Oh, I didn't have time today. I didn't have time. Well, I didn't have time to do this or didn't have time to, to read that scripture or whatever it might be. Um, you know, when God gave us his word, gave us the commands, speaks to us in regard to receiving the word, reading the word, allowing the word to get into our hearts and the time that's involved in that, I think he also knew that the day was comprised of 24 hours. You think he understood that? You know... Um, 
it's not that we didn't have enough time. It's that we made some choices to do other things. Maybe we're not such a great time manager. Or maybe it was a crazy day, and you know what? I need to go to bed, but I never got into the Word today. Do it now. Well, I'll fall asleep. Well, you know, pour an ice bucket over your head and just do it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, do what you got to do. And that's kind of the attitude that we see here. You know, my day was so filled, I didn't have time. But even at midnight, I'm going to be thanking you, Lord, for your word. I'm going to be thanking you for your righteous judgments. And I thank you because they are righteous judgments. They are judgments. Your word is such that it, it's, it itself is righteous. And as it gets into me, it moves me toward a greater righteousness as well. That's what God's word will do. Psalm one time. 119.11, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, right? We talked about that the very first week that we were in Psalm 119, that I might not sin against you. Verse 63 and 64 will close. I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. A companion of all who fear you. Fellowship with like-minded, obedient believers. Oh, it's so important for us. So important. You know, we, we need to be together at times like this. We need to be involved in as much as we can with activities with fellow believers. We, we need to do that. It's, it's, it's paramount that we do that. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the, com but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Basically what that's telling us is we, we become like the people that we hang around with. the people that are our companions. Paul has something to say about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. He says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, let me say this. I think we in the church have a tendency to link that to marriage. And certainly it should be linked to marriage. But it should be linked to everything. I've talked to Christian men who were in business, had a business partner who was not a believer, telling me about all the problems with that. Just don't have the same mindset, don't have the same goals, don't have, don't have the same integrity. I mean, you know, it's a problem. It's a problem having a best friend who's not a believer. And when we come to Christ, we need to learn to just redefine our relationships with people. And somebody who may have been a very good friend, when we come to Christ, they're not, and they don't come to Christ, now, well, let's read on. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? 
Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. That statement right there. This is why you are the temple of the living God. We need to regard ourselves as such. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we need to present some holy living for him to dwell in. As much as we can, but we need his help to do so. But that's the idea, right? Then he goes on. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Then he closes with verse 64. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. You know, closing this particular stanza. And as we, as we spoke of before, you know, the, these... This, this is like a collection of 22 separate psalms written probably over a period of a number of years, probably. Uh, so there's no connection between each individual uh, stanza. But this one is closed with the thought that as we do these things, as we consider our ways as we acknowledge the, our, our, our Lord as our inheritance, as we're quick to respond to the word of God and, and obey, uh, to, to make sure that we are consistent with getting God's word into our hearts and consistent with fellowshipping with believers, with a like mind and a like heart to honor him and obey him uh, in our lives. The more that we do that, the more of God's mercy we're going to see. Because our hearts are prepared in relationship with Him. If our hearts are filled with stuff of the world, then our hearts are prepared for worldly things, right? We're going to see His mercy more. And even with all the, 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 the evil and wickedness that we see in the world, we're going to see the good things. You know, um, I think it's an amazing thing that that, that, that that takes place. He closes with, teach me your statutes. As a result of this, if, if, if I can see more of your mercy in this earth, Lord, if I can see the fullness of your mercy in this earth, Teach me more statues so I can see even more. It comes through relationship with God, which is grounded in the truths of, God, of Scripture, the truths of God's Word. And God, help us, help us, Lord, to see these truths. Lord, fill our hearts with a desire, your desire, Lord, to bring honor, to bring praise, to bring worship to you, Lord Jesus. God, teach us your statutes, as the psalmist closes with. The various things we talked about through this, might they all be ours? And, and God, might we, as 
our, our, our minds are filled with your word. Lord, as we experience life, might your word become ours. Lord, might your truths become the songs that we sing. Fill us with your word. Fill us with that new song that you bring to us. A new song to sing out of joy, out of hope, out of love for you and for those around us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, guys.